the chair in front of you, or maybe you brought one with you. We are going to be actually in two places together this morning. Usually we, we stick with one, but we're going to be in a couple of places this morning. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 9, and so that you'll find Matthew chapter 9 on page 817 in those pew Bibles. And we're also going to be in Luke chapter 19, which is going to be on page 878, I believe. So if you, if you want to turn to page 817, we'll be in Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 9. And then you can put your finger there in 878, and we'll be over in Luke 19 in just a moment. Who is it in your life? Let me ask you this. Who is it in your life that is, that is a fantastic gift giver? Do you have a person like that that you know? Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a, it's a family member. But it's someone that whenever they go out and get a gift, you're excited to open the gift that they get you because they just see you clearly. And they know what you like. They know what you need. They know what you want. And every time you open it, they're spot on. In fact, maybe it's even something you never thought of before, but because they know you so well, because they know exactly what you like, because they know what you need, the second you open it, you know it's something that you're going to enjoy. I don't know if you have someone like that or you've experienced that, but I have a confession for you this morning, and those that are in the room that know me best can tell you this is true about me. Despite my best efforts, uh, I, am, I am a mediocre gift giver. I want to be good. I want to be good at this, but, but I am, this is not my gifting. This is not my skill. In fact, uh, I, like great gifts, when a, when a great gift is opened, and maybe you can picture this, there's laughter and excitement, and sometimes there's jumping up and down, there is shouting, and, and there is, are people, there are thanks and hugs and, and even tears sometimes. But my gifts are always uh, welcomed with a, like a half smile and a, and a thanks. And then, and then we all know someone has an errand. Like someone has an errand to run now that this gift has been purchased. It's either me returning it or them returning it. But someone has to make, run an errand. And maybe you've experienced that before where you open up a gift and you, you look at what's inside and you think to yourself. I mean, outwardly you say thank you. Inwardly you say something like, not even close right? You say, I would never, I don't think I'd ever wear this. I don't think I'd ever use this. And it's not because the person didn't want to show you that they cared, right? Sometimes people are really trying to show that they care. I'm honestly trying to show that I care. But it's just people either don't see you clearly or we don't see other people clearly. And when we don't see other people clearly, when we don't really know who they are and what it is that they actually need, we can end up missing the mark when we try to give them something. And this morning we're going to talk about a reality that exists with our neighbor. If you are joining us for, for the first week or if you were with us last week, we've started a new series that we are calling Love Your Neighbor. And the way we're defining neighbor for this series is that our neighbor is someone who is close to us and far from God. That is someone who is close to us and far from God. That's our neighbor. And so how do we show love? How do we love the people who are close to us and far from God? And last week, last week we said that one of the most loving things we can do for our neighbor is to introduce them to the God who loves them. And we said one way to do that, if you, were, if you saw this or if you were with us, is to live a questionable life 
And by that, we say live a life that is in line with what the gospel says, but is countercultural so that people ask us questions about why we live the way we live and why we do the things that we do. And when they ask those questions, it's then an open door for us to talk about our faith, to talk about the God that we love and who loves them. But there's a reason some of us don't do that. There's a reason why I can go through life and be close to people who are far from God and never open up the doors to allow them to ask questions about the God who loves them. And there's a reason that that you do it too. And so we're going to back up a little bit and talk about one of the reasons why we miss the opportunities to tell those who are close to us and far from God about the God who loves them. And one of the reasons we miss those opportunities is because, quite frankly, we do not see the people around us clearly. So we end up trying to show them love, trying to show them that we care, all the while missing the thing that they need the most. Because we don't see them clearly, because we don't see them as God sees them, We can show that love and we can try to show that we care, those people who are close to us and far from God. But we actually, if we don't see them clearly, miss offering the gift that matters the most. If you were to open up your Bible to the books that talk about Jesus, we sometimes call those the Gospels, and there's four of them. They're right at the beginning of the New Testament. They're Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. Even if you're not super familiar with the Bible, you've probably heard of some of those books. Those are the books that tell us about Jesus's life here on this earth. And if you open up those books and you start reading about Jesus, one of the things that you'll notice very quickly about Jesus is he saw people clearly. And one of the moments that Jesus saw people clearly is in Matthew chapter 9. And I asked you to turn to that just a couple of minutes ago. Matthew chapter 9. And we're going to take a look here in these couple of verses. We're going to be in verse 35. We're going to take a look at these couple of verses at just how Jesus looked at other people who were close to him and far from God and how he saw them clearly. This is what it says. And Jesus went throughout the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Did you catch what it said there in verse 36? When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. When Jesus looks and he sees the crowds, he sees people who are close to him but far from God, Jesus responds with compassion. And why does he respond with compassion? Because simply he sees people who are lost and worthy of being found. When Jesus looked at people, when Jesus looked at people, he saw them as lost and worthy as being, of being found. Jesus saw people clearly, and then he could give them what it was that they actually needed. But so often we don't see people clearly. In fact, I think for many of us, there's really two vision problems that we have. 
Two vision problems that I have, two vision problems that you have when it comes to seeing our neighbor the way that God sees them or seeing our neighbor the way that Jesus sees them. When we look at the people who are close to us and far from God, there's really two mistakes that we can end up making. And the first mistake that you and I can end up making, and I'm certainly guilty of making this mistake, is we're quite simply blind to the reality that the people who are close to us and far from God are truly lost. We're blind to that reality. In fact, it can be very easy, can't it, to go to class and go to work, to have relationships, to have friendships, to be near people, to be in community with people, and all the while forget that if they're far from God, they are lost. And I think there's a couple of reasons why we think that, why we don't think about that, why we don't see that clearly. Uh, The first is, a lot of people look like they're doing fine, don't they? A lot of people look like they're doing fine. In fact, a lot of people not only look like they're doing fine, they lo- we look at our lives as followers of Jesus, and they look like they're doing a whole lot better than us. And so we don't see them as lost because they look like they're doing well. Every Sunday, in fact, I did this a couple of hours ago. Every Sunday when I come to church, the route that I take takes me right through Belmont Country Club. And some of you, some of you take this route as well. I enjoy golf, and if, and if I'm not good at golf, let me make that clear. I'm not good at golf, but I enjoy golf. And every time I drive through that country club on a Sunday morning, if you don't know, Belmont Country Club is a pretty prestigious club uh, around here. And in fact, it hosted the U.S. Senior Open just a couple of years ago. So this is a well-known club. It's a pretty exclusive club. Uh, you got you to gotta have uh, s- some serious cash to get in there and even be allowed on the course. And so when I drive through that country club. I look to my left and there's the parking lot. And I see cars in that parking lot that I could never dream of owning myself. We're easily six figures, all the cars in the parking lot. And then you look on the right hand side and I look out and I see people out on the golf course. The sun is shining. They're enjoying themselves. Not this year, but most years they have caddies carrying their clubs and they're out there having a great time. And honestly, in my head, as I drive to church uh, for us to all be together, sometimes I wonder for myself, I wonder if it would even be possible for me to stop here next to someone in their $200,000 vehicle who's about to play golf and convince them that what we're about to go do together is better than what they're doing right now. Because on the surface, it appears that they're doing great. And when I see someone who appears to be doing very well, and you know these people who are around you, it's easy for me to forget that if they are far from God, they're lost. I think the other reason that we don't think about people as lost is, one, because people seem like they're doing fine, but two, we really don't like to think of people in these terms in our day and age. It feels very judgmental. It feels very condemning to look at another person and to think of them as lost We'd rather think of people as as on the right path and moving in the right direction. We'd like to think the best about people. But notice what happens to Jesus here. When Jesus sees the crowds and he sees them as helpless and harassed and like sheep without a shepherd, he's not moved to judgment and he's not moved to condemnation. Rather, he is moved to compassion. 
And so when we recognize that people who are close to us and far from God are lost, it's not judgment and it's not condemnation. Rather, it's something that should move us to compassion. Our world is very good at convincing us that God works for some people, but not for all people. That what some people really need or what we, we all really need is are things like happiness and acceptance and health and well-being. And certainly all of those things are important. And so we can give those gifts to our neighbors. We can give that gift to the people who are near to us. We can let them know that we love them and that they're important people and that they have value and that they are, are worth our relationship. But unless we truly understand and see clearly that they are lost, we'll never offer them what they really need which is God himself. Our first problem when it comes to seeing people clearly, seeing our neighbor clearly, is that flat, we're flat out blind sometimes to the reality that those who are close to us and far from God are lost and are, need, and are in need of being found. But there's a second problem. There's a second thing, and I, I suffer from this, and, and maybe you suffer from it. And many of us right now, uh, I have contacts in my eyes right now, and some of you have glasses on, and I bet a lot of us in the room have some sort of vision correction happening right now, because the truth is, if we took those glasses off, or if I took my contacts off, I wouldn't be able to see the person in the front row. I'd all be a giant blur around me, because quite frankly, I'm not, it's, it's not that the second vision problem that we have is not that we see people and we're blind to the reality of their state, but we see people and we are blurred to the reality of their state. In fact, sometimes our blurry vision causes us to, to see people and know that they are lost, but not see them as worthy of being found. When Jesus saw people clearly, he saw people as lost and worthy of being found. Did you catch what he said to his disciples? These people are helpless and harassed. They're like sheep without a shepherd. They are lost. Here's your action point, disciples. He says, pray that God will send out workers into the harvest, that these people might be found. And so we end up seeing our neighbor as lost, but we conclude, because our vision is blurry, that they are a lost cause. Who is the person that's close to you and far from God? And you know that they're lost. There's no question about that. You know that they're lost. But you've kind of written off the idea that they'll ever be found. And the reason that you don't talk to them about the God who loves them is not because you don't think that they need God. You know they need God. You've just decided in your mind that there's really no way that that's ever going to happen. That for whatever reason, because, because of how they react when you bring it up, or because of the things they've done in their life, because of who they are and where they've been, you've decided that they're lost, yes, but they're never going to be found. When Jesus was on this earth, throughout the stories of the time that we have in his ministry, this happens over and over and over again, where Jesus comes in contact with people who the people around him look at and say, that person is lost and not worthy of being found. And Jesus corrects them and says, no, 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 that person is lost, but is absolutely worthy of being found. 
If you flip, flip over to Luke chapter 19, there's this story there of Jesus and Zacchaeus. And if you grew up in Sunday school, maybe you, you remember this one. Maybe you sang the song, right? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. You know the song. You know the story. If you grew up in Sunday school. And so this is the story of Jesus coming into the city, and the, the city being so busy that Zacchaeus, who was a tax collector, the Bible tells us, not just a tax collector, but the chief tax collector. And here was the problem with tax collectors very quickly. The Jewish people were run by the Roman government at this point. They didn't much like the Roman government. And one of the things they had to do was pay taxes to the Romans, which they didn't like. Who likes paying taxes, right? But the worst part was that the Romans would employ Jewish tax collectors who would, in a sense, abandon their own people and collect taxes on behalf of the Romans. And here was the rule. The rule was that they had to collect a certain percentage from the people, but... Whatever they could collect on top of that, they could keep for themselves. So Zacchaeus was chief tax collector, and he was very rich, the text tells us. So what does that mean? Not only was he a traitor in the eyes of many people, but also he had extorted many people, and he had taken far more than his fair share. And so the people didn't much like Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus climbed into this tree to try to get a glimpse of Jesus as he was coming into the city. And you can imagine what the people who saw Zacchaeus up in the tree would point and say about him. They would point at him and they would say, traitor. And they would see him up in that tree and they would point at him and they would say, sinner. And they would see him up in that tree and they would point at him and they would say, thief. And they would look at their own bank accounts and they would look up in that tree and they would say, Zacchaeus is rich and wealthy on our money. He is not worth our time. And if you remember the story, Jesus walks by and he sees Zacchaeus up in that tree and he points at him and he says, Zacchaeus, get out of the tree. I'm going to your house today. I have to eat with you he says. And you can imagine the reaction of the people. That's the guy, of all the people in the crowd, that's the guy who is lost and not worthy of being found. But that's the guy that Jesus points to and says, you, the one that everybody else despises, you're the one that I want to eat with today. And if you look at verse 7 of chapter 19, look at how they responded. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. Who? The crowd. Everybody When they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. What kind of person, what kind of savior would possibly go and eat with a guy like that? Zacchaeus stood when he was at his house. And said to Jesus, he said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. And listen to what he says here. For the Son of Man, the Son of Man, that's a, that's a term for Jesus that he's using for himself. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus says, This is why I'm here to find all those people who are lost 
And the world looks at them and says they're not worthy of being found. Aren't you glad that Jesus did it for you? Because every single one of us before we followed Jesus Christ, the world could have looked at us, they could have said sinner, they could have said lost, they could have said loser, and they would have been correct. But Jesus saw us and said, yes, you're lost, but I have come that you and I might have relationship. And I don't know if you're sitting here this morning and you don't call yourself a follower of Jesus. You're not there yet. I want you to know that as long as you are living your life far from God, you may be lost. But there is a Savior who came in Jesus Christ so that you might be found, so that you might have relationship with him and relationship with God. I have a two-year-old daughter uh, her name is Nora. She's with grandma this morning. It'd be hard to sit through church, hard for you to sit through church. It'd be really hard for her to sit through church this morning. And she, she came up to me, she came up to me this morning like she does many times, and she said, Daddy, Daddy, find me, find me. And what she wants me to do is she wants me to cover her, my eyes and count to 10 and, and then say, ready or not, here I come. Now, when I cover my eyes and count to 10, I know every single time exactly where she's going. She's running into our pantry and going to the left underneath the bottom shelf where she sits every single time we've played in hide and seek for months and months. And uh, my family can testify here that that's exactly where she goes, right? Into the pantry, underneath that shelf, the exact same place every single time. When I uncover my eyes, I know exactly where she's going to be. But what kind of dad would I be if I said, I know where she is, she's fine, I'm going to go back to what I was doing? That would be terrible. She has a need to be found. She has a need to be found. And so I go and I find her and she laughs and we do it again and again and again until finally I do have to say, all right, maybe enough for, for right now. But our neighbors... We may know where they are. They're close to us, but they're far from God. We know where they are, but they have a need. And that need is to be found. Just a couple days ago, Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed away. And whenever someone like that passes away, I think about like Steve Jobs, like someone who, who blazed trails and accomplished great things. When someone passes away, we see all sorts of tributes as to how they lived their life and the things that they accomplished, and, and rightly so. But the truth is God sees us differently than that. That God doesn't just judge us based on how we, what we accomplished and what we did. That for Steve Jobs, when, when he stood before his maker... It didn't much matter how many iPhones he sold on earth. That God sees us as lost and found. And I wonder if we see people that way. If we see people the way that Jesus sees people. If we see people clearly. Because if we see our neighbor clearly 
as those who are close to us, far from God, as lost and worthy of being found, then the way that we show love to our neighbor would change dramatically. In fact, in order for us to love our neighbor the way we need to, we need to see them the way Jesus sees them, as lost, but worthy of being found. So who is the person? Who is the person that's close to you and far from God that you are going to be praying for? Who's the person that you know very well, that you work with, that you go to school with, that your family is in your family, that is close to you but far from God? The reality is they are lost and worthy of being found. So would you pray for the opportunity to share? And would you live the life we talked about last week that they would ask you questions so that you might be able to offer them the greatest gift you have for them, which is to introduce them to the God who loves them. I'm gonna invite our worship team to come forward as we prepare to close this morning and invite you just to bow your head and close your eyes for a moment. Would you do that with me? If you're here this morning or if you're watching us online and you would say, I'm not 100% sure. I'm not 100% sure that I'm found. I'm not sure that I have that relationship. You can be sure of that today. That you would right now in your own heart and your own mind Speak to God. Tell him that you're lost and that you want to be found. Ask that he would forgive you for the ways that you have walked away from him. That he would restore you. And tell him that you want to follow him. And the moment you do that, you move from being lost to being found. In fact, Jesus in one chapter of the Bible, he tells three stories of a sheep that is lost and found and a coin that is lost and found and a son that is lost and found. And with those stories, he said, this is just like it is in heaven when a sinner comes to follow Jesus Christ, that they go from being lost to being found and there is great rejoicing. And so maybe this is the morning where you go from being lost to being found. And if you are found, who are the people that God has put close to you? That the greatest thing you could do to love them, the greatest gift that you could give them is to introduce them to the God who loves them. God, we pray for your wisdom. We pray for your insight. We ask that you will help us to see people the way that you see people. God, thank you for the way that you saw us, the way that you see us, that even when we were lost in our sin, even when we were walking away from you, that we were worthy of being found. Help us to do the same for others. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and join us as we close our time in song together?